culmination of a very good week we've had at Dolphin Way, a very good season, in fact, this season of Lent as we have journeyed with Jesus to the cross, and now we are here on this Sunday morning to celebrate his rising from death. Last week was a particularly meaningful week as we observed Holy Week with services every morning, Monday through Friday at 7 o'clock in the morning. We had Monday, Thursday on Thursday night, and uh, then Good Friday on Friday night, and all of these things were done uh, with excellence, and I want to thank our choir, our musicians, our volunteers, our staff for all that they did to make this a very, very wonderful and meaningful week, and how glad we are to be here together on this good day. And we especially welcome those today who are joining us by way of live stream. I grew up around a lot of what I would call country philosophers. Now, they were folks whose view of life had been shaped and formed by experiences both good and bad. And one of them was a distant cousin to my grandfather. And, and this particular man uh, specialized in mules and moonshine. He uh, knew a lot about both and uh, had opinions about other things as well. And uh, this was in the days when modern conveniences were just beginning to be introduced into that community. And one of the neighbors had acquired a refrigerator. It was not an electric refrigerator. It was a gas-powered refrigerator. Maybe you know about that. There are those refrigerators that use propane gas, and they actually have a little flame. And that flame somehow or another acts like the compressor in a, uh, an electric refrigerator, and it cools. And so it is literally a machine that cools by way of a flame. And so this gentleman was told about this. Joe was told about this. And his response was, I wouldn't believe that if I was standing there looking at it. Some things just seem too preposterous to be true, don't they? Too unusual, too exceptional. Theologian Wolfhart Pannenberg said, the evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that no one would question it except for two things. First, it is a very unusual event, indeed, like nothing else. And second, if you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. If you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. Well, we are here to affirm that it happened. We are here to celebrate that it happened. And we are here to consider how we might need to change our lives in light of that reality. Concerning the question of did it happen, we are bold to say not only did it happen, but it is happening and it will happen. In the truest sense of the word, Jesus' resurrection is more than just an historical event. It is transhistorical, a transhistorical movement. It is something that happened and that is happening and that will happen. It is a means of life, a way of life. Indeed, we are correct in saying that we are here not just to celebrate the resurrection, but to celebrate to affirm the resurrected life. The resurrected life, of course, begins with Jesus and his resurrection. The Gospels declare that Jesus died on a cross and that on the third day the Father raised him from the dead. We hear today about those women who go to the tomb. They are going there expecting to discover or expecting to find a body. They arrive with their spices. They are prepared to 
do this final gesture of respect for their friend who is now deceased. And what they discover is an empty grave. And they encounter these men in in, uh, white clothing who say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. And that is Easter. And Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, is the linchpin of the whole gospel enterprise. Without the resurrection, there is no good news. Paul says if there's no resurrection, if only in this life we have faith in Christ, then we are of all people to be most pitied. But then Paul hastens to say, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstborn of those who have died. Karl Barth said that the resurrection of Jesus is like a boulder crashing into the pool of history. If it is true, then the resurrection of Jesus is singularly the most pivotal event in the history of this world. The resurrection of Jesus matters in the first place because it affirms the life and the death of Jesus. Say what you will, Jesus' life is like no other. His teachings are like no other. His death is a wretched failure of human decency and of human justice. And his resurrection is God's ultimate stamp of approval upon everything that Jesus does, everything that Jesus says, everything Jesus is. The resurrection of Jesus matters also because we who place our faith in Jesus are joined to his death and to his resurrection. You see, he didn't just die, he died for us. He didn't just rise, he was raised for us. We share in his death, we participate in his resurrection. He is the first who is raised, we are raised with him. The resurrection of Jesus begins on Easter morning and it continues to this very moment. It is a present reality. We are crucified with Christ. We die to the old self. We die to the false self. We die to the sinful self. We die to the self that is self-seeking, self-centered, power-hungry, status-seeking, and afraid. We are raised by Christ to new life, to the new self, the true self that is made in God's image. As Kathy said so wonderfully in her prayer, we are dead to greed and raised to generosity. The resurrection is a present reality. The resurrected life is the life in which we become the very people we were made to be. We are raised with Jesus to become whole, to become well, to become holy. Jesus raises us into a quality of life that is a preparation for life with him eternally. Because you see, the resurrection life is also a future life. It is life beyond this life. It is life beyond this life which death destroys. It is life with Jesus and it is life with all of those who've gone before us. 
The resurrected life is finally a life with God in a realm where there is no sin, no sorrow, and most of all, no goodbyes. The resurrected life is all of that. It is Jesus rising from death. It is Jesus raising us from the death of the old sinful self. It is Jesus raising us finally from the death of our mortal bodies. It is an event that happened. It is a reality that is happening. It is a promise of what will happen. Given the breadth, given the magnitude, given the enormity of the resurrected life, how, how, do, we begin to, how do we begin to live it? What are its entry points? How do we begin to, to live into that great reality? I suggest that the resurrected life has a rhythm. It has a heartbeat. And the Easter story reveals this. For example, we are told that the women come early in the morning... They come at this hour because this is as early as they can come by the law. They come in the early morning because their mission matters to them. They don't delay. They are there as soon as possible. If we would know the mystery, the wonder, the glory of the resurrected life, it cannot be an afterthought. It cannot be something we pursue when we've finished pursuing other things. Jesus welcomes all who follow him, but he insists that if we are to follow him, he must be our first loyalty. Concerning all of the choices we could make, Jesus says, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And all the else, all else will be added. The women come early. Early, let us come. The women come expecting one thing and they discover something else altogether. They come expecting to find a body, they discover an empty tomb. And at first, the sight of the empty tomb is a terrifying, frightening, terrible sight. But then as the scene unfolds, the sight of the empty tomb becomes glorious. And they begin to realize that everything has changed. Their orientation must be shifted. This is a cardinal quality of the resurrected life. It is always full of surprises. It is hardly ever predictable. It always turns out different than what we expect. There are disappointments along the way. Those women were disappointed when they arrived and found the tomb empty. Suffering, sacrifice are a part of the resurrected life. But the end of the life is glorious. The end is infinitely better than anything we can ask or imagine. In the first place, the end of the resurrected life is that we become the very ones we are made to be. And I ask you, what could be better 
than becoming the very person God made you to be. Is there anything better than that? The world is made new. In the end, the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of God and of his Christ. And all of this happens in surprising ways. If we are to live the resurrected life, we must learn to expect the unexpected. For God works in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. The women are asked why they are looking for the living among the dead. Well, the reason they're looking for anyone among the dead is they're looking for the dead. And their whole orientation is about to be transformed by the real realization that Jesus is not dead. He is risen. And so they are challenged to look in new places and in new ways for life. And the resurrected life is finally life-seeking life. It is life looking for life everywhere. Now this doesn't mean that we would never think of those who've died. Of course, we remember those who've gone before us. But it means that we don't think of them as dead. We think of them as alive in Christ. More alive than we. It doesn't mean that we don't appreciate all that has been before us. It simply means that we don't cling to life as it has been. We look for signs of life wherever we find them. New life, emerging life. For all life finally depends upon God. Martin Luther said, Our Lord has written the promise of resurrection not in books alone, but in every leaf in the springtime. Most of all, the resurrected life is oriented around Jesus. When the women are told that Jesus has risen from the dead, they are reminded of all that Jesus had told them before he died. They are reconnected with this Jesus whom they've known, loved, and followed he is once again their Lord, and he will once again lead them, and they will be his disciples. The resurrected life is a life in which we know Jesus. We know Jesus through Scripture. We know Jesus through the life of the church. We know Jesus through intimate fellowship with the Holy Spirit. The resurrected life is a life in which we are disciples of Jesus. We follow him. We learn from him. We live in him, by him, and for him. In all of this, we seek to be transformed into his likeness. For he is the true man, the new Adam. We are like the apostle Paul who said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him in his death so that if possible I might attain resurrection from the dead. We are baptized into Christ's death so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I hope you understand what I'm saying. It is hard to put into words. And this too is a quality of the resurrected life. It defies explanation. 
the women encounter the empty tomb. They learn that Jesus has been raised. They go and tell the men, and the men dismiss it as silly women's talk. The men don't get it. It's too good to be true. This is always the case with the resurrected life. I know some of you are here to get a year's worth of religion on this one day. I hate to disappoint you. It's not possible. Because you see, the gospel cannot be boiled down to a few easy-to-remember principles or propositions. The resurrected life is life. It is as rich and as deep and as varied as life because it is life. It is life in absolute fullness. And who can describe that? The theologians try, the poets try, but who can describe that? It is beyond words. No sermon, no lesson, no book, no library of books can do it justice. It is too great. It is too wonderful. It is too amazing. It is too mysterious for words. When we live the resurrected life, we finally realize that it far exceeds all of our categories, all of our concepts. It is simply the grace of God poured out upon us in absolute, unconditional, unending love. And who can describe that? And that brings us to the final element in the rhythm of the resurrected life. It is the fact that Jesus' resurrection occurs on the first day of the week. Not the last day, but the first day. You see, Easter always beckons us to the future. And because of Jesus' resurrection, there is always a future. Whatever our past, our future is always full of possibilities. If anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. The old has passed away. See, the new has come. Easter is always the first day of the rest of our lives. And so one of the changes that we have to make in how we live is to realize that because of the resurrection, we live forever. And this life, as good as it is, as important as it is, as wonderful as it is, is but a dress rehearsal for what is to come, for the life that beckons us in eternity. And we are being prepared for an eternal weight of glory that is beyond, beyond description. And so the message of Easter, the message of the church, the message of Scripture, the message of the Holy Spirit on this Sunday is an invitation. It is an invitation to live the resurrected life. And if you have a yearning to do that, if you desire to live the life that God has for you, 
become the very one you were made to be. If you have questions, if you have doubts, then we are here to journey with you. That is the reason we exist as a congregation, finally, is to journey together in becoming the very people God's made us to be. And the resurrection makes all of that possible. We are a resurrection people, and you are invited to join us. We sing a final hymn, number 337, Crown Him with Many Crowns. As we sing this hymn, you hear the Spirit speaking to you, and you respond as God directs you. Let us stand and sing together 337.